0: Good boys and girls, Two-Footed Podcast on Monday, the 9th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, BBC iPlayer, RTE player, whatever it is that you're geo-blocked from. Liberty Shield will be a workaround. Check out libertyshield.com, use the code EPLVPN you get 20% off at checkout. And remember, a VPN also keeps your data safe when you're browsing online. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index shop on Etsy. If you're a Man City fan, there's some stuff on there for Jack Grealish, stuff on there celebrating your league title win last year. There's Chelsea stuff. Celebrating the Champions League win, there's more stuff to come. If you're a Liverpool fan, check out the Anfield Index shop, also available on Etsy. Right, folks, a little bit of a different start today. Tomorrow is the 50th birthday of one of, if not my favourite players of all time, Roy Keane. Roy Keane turns 50 tomorrow, and because I'll probably forget, I thought I'd do this today, And just take a quick look back at the career as a player, a manager, and a pundit of someone I believe is one of the most important and influential figures in the history of English football. So, obviously, his first big break in England came with Nottingham Forest, signed in 1990 by Brian Clough. Clough was planning to retire at this time. And when Keane broke through into the first team, it gave Clough the want to carry on. Now, there's a way of looking at it that says maybe it tarnished some of Clough's legacy. But at the end of the day, to take what would be today a championship team, bring them into the Premier League, win the Premier League, and then win back-to-back European Cups, Champions Leagues now, is one of, if not the greatest achievements any manager has ever accomplished in English football. And that's what Brian Clough did with Nottingham Forest. So he had plenty of credit in the bank. He could basically do what he wanted towards the end of his career. But for a manager like him, who'd experienced the success he had, to want to stay on because of a player, an individual player, not a collective, not a group, because it wasn't a good Forest team that Keane came into, Says a lot about how good Roy Keane was, how great Clough believed he could be. He would move to Manchester United in 1993. At the time, it was an English record transfer fee. Uh, 3.6 million United paid to beat Blackburn to the signing. Blackburn, you'll remember at the time, backed by Jack Walker, managed by Kenny Dogleash, spending money left and right, snapping up the best players. There is an alternate world where Blackburn signed Roy Keane and then a year later Zinedine Zidane. Now, the reason they didn't sign Zidane is because Jack Walker wouldn't finance the move because they already had Tim Sherwood. And while Tim Sherwood was a fine player, it just shows that at the time, perhaps, the level of scouting wasn't quite what it is today that they couldn't show Mr. Walker why they needed to sign Zidane and they didn't go harder after Keane. Roy Keane would have, I think, transformed that Blackburn team into a dynasty, a team that would have won multiple Premier League titles, not just the one. He went to United and he joined, you know, a team that had already won a league title. He joined a team that was already stacked with great players and he would go on to win seven Premier League titles 94, 96, 97, 99, 2000, 2001, and 2003. He's a four time FA Cup winner, part of a team that won the Champions League in 99, obviously, as part of the treble, though he did miss the final, having been suspended for a, a second yellow card in a semi final game against Juventus. And that game against Juventus is, for me, the best individual performance I've ever seen from a midfield player. United went there, already the underdogs. They go behind, Keane gets booked. And from there, he knows he's out of the final. And he turns in a phenomenal performance. And single-handedly grabs that United team by the scruff of the neck. And drags them across the finish line. Gets them to that final. Knowing full well he's not going to play. But that didn't matter to Roy Keane. What mattered to Roy Keane was winning the game. And getting his team across the line. Obviously the end of his Manchester United career. Wasn't very pretty. The falling out with Ferguson. The talk of some game review he'd done for MUTV. And how he'd been overly harsh on certain players. Keane says he wasn't overly harsh. Maybe one or two comments, but nothing like Alex Ferguson made it out to be. He went on to Celtic, won a double league and League Cup, though didn't play a whole bunch of games because of a hip injury. It's worth pointing out that Roy Keane was told in 2002 when having hip surgery that he was going to need a hip replacement at some time. So imagine how bad his hip was at that point. While still in the middle of his career, he was 31 being told, you're going to need a hip replacement. So imagine the pain he was playing through on a regular basis. People remember Roy Keane as a hard man, a ball winner, you know, someone who often went a little bit too far in some of his tackles, some of his clashes with players, the Alfinger Haaland incident, the stamping on Garrett Southgate, things like that. There's absolutely no question those things are out of line. There's no question that Keane did it, for, did it at times step way beyond the line of what's acceptable. But that was his role in the team. That's what the role that Roy Keane developed into was that hard man, that ball winner, that guy who went out to win the midfield battle. Well, people forget is that before the knee injury that he suffered at Leeds, before the cruciate ligament injury, he was a force of nature as a box-to-box midfielder. He was a really good passer of the ball. He could carry the ball. He made brilliant off-ball runs. And even before joining United, he was a good goal scorer. You you look at his time at at Forest, 11 goals in 49. 14 and 56, 8 and 49. Across a three year span, that's a good return for a midfielder, a box to box midfielder. He got 8 and 54 in his first season at United. The goals dried up a little bit because he was asked to play slightly deeper, not be as aggressive getting four, do a lot more ball winning. But he was still able to get some goals. You look at the 99-2000 season, he scored 12 goals in 54. That's that's post-knee injury. And he changed his game at that point drastically because he didn't have the same kind of mobility. He was also playing in midfield with Paul Scholes for the majority of his career at United. And Scholes, I, I think Scholes is massively underrated by some and then overrated by others. I think United fans can tend to overrate him a bit. But I think fans of other clubs massively underrate Paul Scholes. He was an incredible player on the ball, but defensively he wasn't very good. His positioning was fine, but he wasn't quick. And he couldn't tackle to save his life. So Keane had to do all of the dog work defensively or risk Paul Scholes flinging himself into a tackle, catching someone in the thigh and getting red carded. So Keane was doing all the defensive work and still in that season scoring 12 goals. A season when he's only a year removed, a year and a a bit removed from uh, an ACL injury. As a midfield player, I think Roy Keane is the best the Premier League has seen. Now, that is debatable. You can argue for Patrick Vieira. Some might argue for McAlealy, Essien, Lampard, Scholes. I don't think Gerrard goes into that conversation because Gerrard played further forward. He played either as a right-side midfielder or a 10, for the best stretches of his career. When he moved into central midfield, it was later in his career. He was well past his best. And barring a run in the 13-14 season, Gerrard was never brilliant as a central midfield player. Attacking midfield, incredible. Right-side midfield, world-class. Immense in both those positions. An absolute force of nature. But as a central midfielder, I I wouldn't put him in this conversation. I think, again, you're looking more along the lines of Vieira. The holding midfielders like Gilberto Silva or Makaleli. Your dynamic box-to-box players like Essien. Even Lampard played more of an attacking midfield role for most of his career. Balak is another great Premier League midfield player. But I think I would take Roy Keane over all of them. Ball-winning dynamism, good pass with the ball, very underrated pass with the ball, super intelligent player, rarely made a mistake on the pitch unless it was a disciplinary mistake. But where I don't think it's debatable is when I say that Roy Keane is the best captain the Premier League has ever seen. Roy Keane, as an inspirational leader, was just on a different level to anybody else and people will point at again Gerard Vieira John Terry whoever none of them for me come close to Roy Keane because when i look at a great captain i want two things i want someone that can inspire others with their words and then i want someone that can lead by example that can single-handedly go And win a game. Now, Vieira could single-handedly go and win you a game. Gerrard could single-handedly go and win you a game. But they weren't great vocal leaders. Vieira had others at Arsenal that would take care of that. Campbell was a great vocal organiser. Gerrard had Carragher, who, who did that side of things for him. Keane did it all at United. Even Terry, I mean, very good vocal leader, very good organiser, but wasn't going to go and win you a game. That was Lampard's job. Tony Adams could go and win you a game by himself with a carry from the back that would break the lines, with a diagonal pass that would open things up. He could go up and score a set piece. Adams I would put second behind Keane in my list of Premier League captains but for me that's a, there's a gap there because I've never seen in the face of incredible adversity in Turin against an incredible an incredible Juventus team I've never seen a player do what Roy Keane was able to do on that night he was just different class and that performance wasn't out of the ordinary for him. That was something he could do on a regular basis. Now, oftentimes he didn't have to. Because United were generally dominant. Generally better than most other things. But Keane set the standard at United. Keane demanded the most of absolutely everybody. If you weren't pulling your weight, Roy Keane got in your face. If you were making bad decisions, Roy Keane got in your face. If someone else got in your face, Roy Keane got in their face. Roy Keane would destroy you, but if anyone else questioned you, he was the first one to your defense. And I think the standards that he set at United are the reason we saw Alex Ferguson enjoy such success because in Ferguson's own words he let Keane manage the dressing room the dressing room was Roy Keane's on the pitch Roy Keane ran the team Ferguson ran the training ground, Ferguson picked the team Ferguson set out the game plans etc, etc, etc Ferguson's man management was brilliant, if Keane would destroy them, Ferguson would take them in, put the arm around the shoulder But on the flip side, if Ferguson gave them the hairdryer, Keane would put the arm around the shoulder. Those those two were so similar that they worked brilliantly in tandem. But eventually it was always going to fall apart because two big egos, two very forceful personalities, it was always going to fall apart the way it did. But I think what makes me really appreciate Keane is when you look at the current Premier League, I don't see a single great captain. Arsenal are captained by Aubameyang. Great player. Not a leader. Villa don't have a captain at the moment. It was Grealish. Again, very good player. Not a leader. He was given the captaincy because he was the best player. Same as Aubameyang. Pontus Janssen a very good vocal leader. A good organiser. Same with Lewis Dunk. Same with Ben Mee. Same with Aspilicueta. But they're not guys that are going to go and grab a game by the scruff of the neck and lead by example. They're not going to drag you across the finish line. Milo I mean, he's a good player. I don't, when you watch him play, he does bark a lot, but I don't know what effect it has. His team hasn't been very good. Seamus Coleman is pretty softly spoken. And though he does talk, he's not someone that's organizing everybody in every position. Liam Cooper's a, a good organiser. Casper Schmeichel can can lead by example in that he can be inspirational in the saves that he makes. And I think he is one of the better captains in the league. Jordan Henderson's never going to grab a game with a scruff of the neck and lead by example. He's just not that player. Jordan Henderson's never been one of the five best players in any Liverpool team he's played in, other than the bad ones. So he, he might do his passionate vocal shouts, as Liverpool like to, promote them as, but what effect do they have? We've seen players like Thiago last season look at him and think, what are you shouting at me for? You go and do your job. Because he's telling them how to do their job more than anything else. And when you're not doing your own job, it's a little bit hollow. Fernandinho, I mean, I think he's the captain because he's been there the longest. I think that's kind of how City approach things. McGuire's a very good vocal leader, but he's not the type that's going to go and win you a game. He can score some goals from set pieces, sure. But Harry Maguire is not the type of player that's going to grab his team when they're behind and single-handedly drag them across the finish line. Lachelle's, again, good vocal leader. so's Grant Hanley. I think Ward Prowse, he's not a great player, but he is the type that can, can galvanize a team. I don't think he's the most vocal but he is the type of player that can provide inspirational moments from set pieces and things like that. Lloris is a talker. He's a good talker, and he's obviously won the World Cup as captain of France. I would say he's probably the best captain in the league right now. Um, Dini, he's... he's. I don't like strikers as captain almost as a rule, but Dini is the type that in the lower leagues, can inspire. Not anymore, he's he's past his best. He's probably not going to be in the team this season all that much. But Deany is the type that, in the lower league, could inspire his team. doesn't have the quality at the Premier League level to do it. Mark Noble's just a chatterbox, but again, he's not one that's really going to put an imprint on a game. He'll put in all the effort, and he'll work really hard, and he'll win you back the ball, but you're not asking for a whole lot other than maybe penalties. And Connor Cody, I mean, he can ping a pass, there's no question. He's a good talker, but he's not an elite level player. And that's the other thing. These these Premier League captains, they're not elite level players. Laris was probably borderline world class at his very best. I mean, Aubameyang, borderline world class. Maybe you could argue he was elite for a few years, to be fair, his goal record was sensational. But Janssen dunk me. Aspilicueta at one point was an elite defender. He's not anymore. Uh, Milojovic. Coleman was was an excellent right back. He's not anymore. Injuries and in age have taken the toll. Cooper. Casper. I mean, Casper's good. He's never been great. Henderson's not a great player. He's he's a good player at his best. Fernandinho was great, but he's not anymore. He's past his best. Maguire's good, but he's never been great. He's one of the more overrated players in the league. Um. I mean, he's a top ten centre back, probably top seven centre back in the league. But he's not elite. There's not seven elite centre backs in the league. Lachelles is good, not great. Handley's decent. Ward Prowse good, not great. Deeney was was decent at his best. Noble was decent at his best. Cody's okay. Lloris is the only one I would say, and, and Lloris and Aubameyang, the only two, along with Fernandinho, who were world class at their best, or sorry, close to world class at their best. But none of them, I think, ever really broke into that sphere. Keane was world-class. There's absolutely no question. You look at what he did for United. You look at what he did for, for Ireland. He was incredible for Ireland. And, yeah, his international career will always come with the taint of the 2002 World Cup. But whatever. Who cares? It's over. It's done. What is 20 years ago? He got us there. Like, Jason McAteer got all the credit for a goal against the Netherlands, but Roy Keane won us that game. So, as a player, Keane was incredible. As a captain, I think he's the best the Premier League era has ever seen. And I don't think it's all that close. As a winner, I mean, like I say, seven Premier League titles, and there are are some with, with more and all United players, The likes of Giggs, Scholes. They've got more. Neville, I think, is eight. Um, But they weren't as good as Roy Keane. He's often criticised for his managerial track record. And I think that's, that's wrong. He took over a Sunderland team that had lost their first four games of the season. And he got them promoted. Then he kept them up the next season. Now, the following season, he left in early December. And at the time, they were 18th. They dropped into 18th after a defeat at the weekend. But they weren't dead and buried. They weren't doomed. He didn't leave a team that were certain to get relegated. I mean, a a few weeks later, they were 11th in the league. They got as high as 10th. They eventually finished 16th. And they finished 16th despite losing... Nine of their last 12 games. They lost nine of their last 12 games and still finished 16th. So that number one tells you how bad the Premier League was that season. Uh, They had 36 points and ended up in 16th position. But it also tells you, like, Keane didn't leave a mess behind. He would go on to Ipswich. And sure, you can say he failed at Ipswich, and that's fine. He finished mid-table both seasons. But who has succeeded at Ipswich since George Burley? Like 20 years ago, they were in the Premier League and they got relegated and they've never sniffed it since. They finished third in the championship once lost in the playoffs. Um, I think they got to the playoffs two other times, but under Joe Royal and I think Mick McCarthy. But they've never gotten out of the division. In fact, they've been relegated since. They're now in League One. You look at the Ipswich managers since Keane. Paul Jewell did worse than Keane. Mick McCarthy was there six years. Never got them out of the division. Paul Lambert was a disaster. Paul Cook is there now. He's not doing particularly well. McCarthy did slightly better than Keane. In terms of win percentage, Keane was 34.6. McCarthy was uh, 37.6. But Jewell did worse, Lambert did worse, and Cook has done worse. Even before him, Jim Magilton didn't do particularly well. Joe Royal did okay that you know those seasons he got to the playoffs. But it's not like we're looking at a club in Ipswich who've had great success In the last 20 years. Keane did about as well as anybody else. That's been there. And. Paul Jewell's done well other places. McCarthy's done well other places. Lambert's done well other places. It's not like. It's bad managers. It's the club. The issue with Ipswich is the club. So Roy Keane is a better manager. Than people give him credit for. He's an incredible, he was an incredible player, an incredible captain. And as a pundit, I think him and Sue Ness are the two best. Now, people might not like them because maybe they pick on your favorite player. Maybe they don't cuddle your favorite player, but they're honest. They hold players to a very high standard because they played at a very high level. And you see the difference in their style of punditry and say a Gary Neville or a Jamie Carragher that people seem to like, even though both of them are absolute idiots, is Neville was a, was a good player that played in great teams. Carragher was a good player, played in a couple of great teams, but largely just decent teams. They were never great players. Never at any point did Jamie Carragher or, or Gary Neville sniff being world-class. Not even They couldn't even see it. They were that far away. But Keane and Souness know exactly what it is to be a world-class player. To be best in class. To be the best player in your position in the league. For years, because Souness is probably the only midfielder better than Keane to ever play in English football. Souness is the greatest, maybe the greatest footballer to ever come off the British Isles. That's how good Souness was. Souness was the best midfielder in the world for a whole bunch of years. Keane was the best in the league, one of the best in the world. Keane played in probably a more competitive era. But those two know. So when they criticise Paul Pogba, they have the right to criticise Paul Pogba. And thinking about Roy Keane, it makes me mourn the loss of great captains in world football. You know I'm not a fan of Ramos, but I do think Ramos is a great captain. He's a great organiser. He's not a very good defender, but he is the type of guy that will drag his team across the finish line. He'll carry the ball into midfield. He'll make that extra pass. He'll get forward and get your goal, not just from a set piece, but in open play. Now, sometimes he gets forward to get that goal, leaves a big gap behind him and calls you. But Ramos is an inspirational player. And I would argue that Ramos is probably the best captain in world football right now. I don't know if he'll be captain of PSG. Maybe he won't be. But at Real Madrid, he was. And that was his strength. Never a great defender, but a great captain. A great player in terms of on the ball, getting forward, your big moments, big goals. Defensively, n- never elite. Ramos is probably the best captain in the game right now. He's he's out on his own. You look around, who are you seeing? I mean, Messi's not a vocal leader. Messi is an incredible player, but not a vocal leader. You know, you look through Cialini, incredible leader, great defender. Can he win you a game by himself? I, I don't think he can. But he can do things that will enable you to win games for sure. He certainly won't lose you games. Cialini's in that mix. But, you know, you look back at some of the great captains we've seen over the years, and and I just don't think there's anyone of the nature of Roy Keane in the game today. I think as a player, he's one of the best I've seen, certainly one of the best the Premier League has seen. As a captain, he's the best the Premier League has seen. As a manager, he's better than people make him out to be, and he did very well at Sunderland, and it shouldn't be forgotten that he got them promoted, having taken over without a preseason when they lost four games in a row and as a pundit I think him and Sunex are the two best because they're honest and because they're not afraid one of the problems with pundits these days is they're they're too scared so they won't say a bad word about anybody Keane doesn't care and you have to remember that a lot of what he says and a lot of how he acts on television is for the cameras because controversy creates cash. You don't think Sky's viewership goes up when Roy Keane is on? You don't think all the clicks on their YouTube channels and all that kind of stuff doesn't go up when it's Roy Keane? Because people want to watch and see what he says. Either because they know he'll have a go at someone and they want to enjoy it. Or because they want to hate watch it and see what that guy said about my favourite player now. Same thing with s and Pogba. You think s doesn't know? That every time he says something about Pogba, United fans are up in arms. Of course he knows. he's smart. And he knows that controversy creates cash. So happy 50th birthday to Roy Keane. The inspiration of the name Two-Footed Podcast, I should point out. Him and Sunes. We'll be back after the break. We'll get into what news there is. Because there's a bit to get through. See you in a minute. Right, folks, welcome back. We have quite a bit of news to catch up on from the weekend. First things first, Lionel Messi obviously gave his press conference announcing his departure from Barcelona. It does look like Paris Saint-Germain will be his destination. It appears that when Messi's people made contact with them on Thursday evening after the announcement that he would have to leave Barcelona because they couldn't afford to fit him in under their salary cap that PSG were welcoming with open arms. An offer was put forward. Messi has spent the weekend thinking about it. And it looks like he is going to join Paris Saint-Germain on a two-year deal with an option for a third year. It's hard. Messi's the best player of the era, there's no question. There's been... Whenever it came down to watching Barcelona, you would watch them for Messi, regardless of how good the team around him was. You would root for Messi because of how great he was, unless you're a Cristiano fanboy. It's going to be hard to root from a Paris Saint-Germain. It really is going to be hard to root from a PSG. It's hard to root for Neymar for many reasons. It's hard to root for Mbappe because of PSG, Verratti because of PSG, Marquinhos because of PSG. I love Mbappe, Verratti and Marquinhos. Never been a big fan of Neymar. I appreciate the talent. There's no question he's a phenomenal footballer. Just don't like the histrionics. Don't like how he goes about his business. Don't like that he just gave up the prime of his career to go and live the easy life in Paris. Messi's earned the right to go and do it. Um, It loads them up for the Champions League. You know, you look at the signings made during the summer, Donnarumma, Ginny Wijnaldum, Hakimi. Ramos, I wouldn't be keen on that one, but the the other three are really great signings. And you add Messi, all of a sudden you've created the favourites for next season's Champions League. Um, Strange to see him leaving Barcelona, obviously. Not necessarily the worst thing for Barca in the long term. But certainly in the short term it will have a a catastrophic impact on their ability to challenge for major honours. If you're Atletico Madrid right now, you have to be rubbing your hands together because Real haven't added anybody this summer, but they did lose their two centre-backs. And now Barca have lost Messi. And you just won a league title. And you added Rodrigo de Paul. Now you're probably going to lose Saul Niguez, but you added Rodrigo de Paul, who's a good player, not a great player, but he will add more attacking threat to that team. If you're Atletico Madrid, this is your opportunity to go and win a second La Liga title in a row. Your third under Simeone. There's no excuse for Atletico Madrid this season. This is the biggest break they could have gotten. It's a big break, obviously, for Real Madrid as well. They're, the scourge of Madrid is gone. It's tough for Barca fans, of course. There's no doubt. Messi's been part of the fabric of the club for years and years. 20 years, I think, he's been there. 17 in the first team. But... All good things come to an end. And it is time for Messi to move on. Um, Barca are the masters of their own demise. They were spending 110% of their income on wages. To get to the threshold set by La Liga. Even after Messi. So people were saying, oh, Messi could have played for free. If Messi played for free their wage bill would still have been 93% or 94% of their income. So even if Messi played for free, they couldn't register him. That's why they can't register Aguero, can't register Depay, can't register Eric Garcia, can't register Emerson. Now, Aguero's been ruled out for 10 weeks, which will rule him out most of the first part of the season. So maybe we don't see Aguero play until... January. But Aguero, because he can be registered then if they get the wage bill fixed a little bit, but Aguero's asking to leave because he's not happy because he signed there for less money than he was offered, funnily enough, by PSG to play with Messi because Messi said he was going to stay. Messi was going to stay until Barca's problems came to light. Um, there'll be more on this, obviously, tomorrow and moving forward as Messi makes a final decision and signs wherever it is he's going to sign. But just to look quickly at the numbers, 672 goals in 778 senior games for Barcelona. Just take a moment and think about how ridiculous that is. This is a man who for the last 12 seasons has just been incredible. Before that, he was very, very good. But since 08, 09, 38 and 51, 47 and 53, 53 and 55, 73 in 60. 73 goals in 60 games. 60 and 50, 41 and 46, 58 and 57, 41 and 49, 54 and 52, 45 and 54, 51 and 50, 31 and 44. 38 and 47 last season. 38 and 47. Man was 33 years of age. Just wrecking teams by himself. With a mediocre manager and an incompetent team around him. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Another signing that looks like it's moving forward at a very quick pace is Romelu Lukaku returning to Chelsea. So. David Ornstein broke the news um, on Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Uh, Lukaku to do Chelsea medical in Belgium on Sunday and travel to London that night or Monday a.m. to to seal his €115 million move from Inter Milan. 28-year-old didn't plan to exit Inter, but financial crisis made it necessary, and he has unfinished business at Chelsea. Two minutes later, the spoofer tweets out basically the same thing. The absolute fraud just ripped off Ornstein's report as his own. What a spoofer. Anyone that follows... That man has 4 million followers on Twitter now. If you follow him for any reason other than to laugh at him or call him a tap-in merchant or a spoofer, shame on you. If you subscribe to his nonsensical podcast where he never says anything of note and his twitch shame on you stop giving that man money he's ripping off youtubers and podcasters left right and center he's ripping off other journalists whose news he steals as his own his twitter account apparently came without a retweet button because he can't just retweet someone else's news he has to steal it on them and then sometimes he'll credit them When it's meaningless stuff, sometimes he'll credit them. When it's breaking transfer news, he takes it as his own and pretends it's his work. Spoofer. Um, Inter could well be losing both strikers this summer. Gary Jacob in the Times, uh, followed up by Alistair Gold, who's probably the best on Spurs, have reported that Spurs have agreed a fee for Arturo Martinez. £60 million pounds in and around, it's now down to Martinez, whether he wants to make the move or not. Now, the early noise coming out of Italy is that he doesn't want to go, that he wants to stay at Inter. Now, whether that's he wants to stay at Inter or he doesn't want to join Spurs, I don't know. Um Nothing clear on that. Now, the spoofer himself has come out and said, no, there's no bid, blah, 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 it's just speculation. If Alistair Gold says it, there's a fee agreed. Simple as that. Absolute fact. If Alistair Gold reports it, you can take it to the bank. Gary Jacobs, pretty good as well. So I would take their word, the fact that they're real journalists over a spoofer with a catchphrase. Um, Latour would be an interesting signing for Spurs at 23, 24. And I think in two weeks, he is not even close to the fully formed player he's going to be. He's coming off two excellent seasons. With Inter, 21-49 uh, and 19-47 and and last season as they won the league. Partnering Lukaku. So best in a two. The re- early reports from Spurs are that he would be signed to play with Harry Kane, not replace Harry Kane. He couldn't replace Harry Kane. He's not the type that will play as a lone striker the way Kane does. He's not that kind of player. He's not an out-and-out out nine. He's like a nine-and-a-half. So with Kane, he'd be brilliant. You play him with Kane. And maybe Sun plays off the left and either Bergvine or Brian Gill or Lucas Mora plays off the right and they go to something resembling a 4-4-2. I think, I think if Kane goes, if they could get Latour, they might sell Kane and then look to bring in another striker, maybe Dusan Vlahovic, who they've been heavily linked with this summer and he's believed to be one of the top targets. But Martinez would be a great signing. And I think any Premier League club looking for like Liverpool, for example, looking for a replacement for Firmino, an upgrade on Firmino, Latour-Martinez would be that. And he's perfect to play that false nine kind of role between Salah and Mane or Salah and Jota or Jota and Mane when Salah needs a break, whatever the, the makeup's going to be. He could play in a two with Salah. You could play Salah as the nine play uh, Latour-Wolfham. That way you can play Mane on a wing and maybe bring Harvey Elliott into the team on the other wing in certain games or, or Jota on the wing, whichever you want. Um, if Spurs can pull this off, it would be a remarkable piece of business. He's a tremendous player. They've got a couple of his close friends there. He's close with Giovanni Lo Celso and with Christian Romero, so that could sway him if he is on the fence about the move. But Spurs have been very aggressive and very ambitious. We know that they tried for Jules Koundé. There's some talk they might try again for Koundé um, and try and pair him with Romero. Now, I think if they if they sold Kane and say they get that 160 million, could they then go and get Martinez and Kunde and Vlahovic? It could be a stretch, but you could probably get away with Sun as your number nine for a period of time. Sun and Martinez up front could be an interesting mix. Um, you wouldn't have Kane's presence, but a lot of pace, a lot of creativity, versatility. It could be interesting. Um, Spurs are going to be interesting to see now over the next couple of weeks, though. Because Kane has come out, obviously done a statement over the weekend saying that he was always due to come back to training on Saturday, which isn't the truth at all. He went on strike for a week, stayed on holiday for a week and uh, had his little tantrum. And now he's back and he can cry over people questioning his professionalism. But if you want to you know, be praised for your professional professionalism, act like a professional. Act like Jack Grealish. Why would Jack Grealish be back at training and you wouldn't be? Are you special? Do you deserve extra time off than everybody else? Because Jack Grealish was back training a week ago. Got his head down, got on with it. Got his move. Harry came through the toys, went and strike. Simple as. Uh, Joe Willock is on the verge of joining Newcastle on a permanent £20 million deal. Um, I think this is a good move for Willock. A good move for Newcastle. The price is a little bit steep, but it is what it is. And for Arsenal getting a good return on an academy player, that's money they can now put towards probably James Madison. Uh, That seems to be the one they're zeroing in on. But eight goals in 14 games for Newcastle last year. He had a tremendous half of the season when he went to St. James's. It's unlikely he's carrying on that form. But if he can get eight to ten goals a season for them, that is absolutely a great return for that money, and he's only twenty-one. He's going to get better. He'll be twenty-two by the time the season really kicks off in anger. But he—he's um, only going to get better over the next few years. So hopefully Newcastle will do a good job developing him. Bruce isn't really a player you tag or manager you tag as a development specialist, but you know he won't be there forever. So hopefully whoever comes in after him can do a good job. Uh, Axel Tunzebi has joined Aston Villa. On loan, this is his third loan spell at Villa now. He's actually played more league games for Villa 30 than for United 19. Uh, in fact, he's played 35 games for Villa across two loans and 37 games for United across seven seasons he's been a senior senior squad member. Um, That can't be right. It must be six. Six, six seasons. Um, yeah, six seasons. Uh, in all competitions, of course. But um, good signing for Villa. Tunzebi is a good player. He's a solid defender. Can play right back, centre back is his best position. Can also play a little, a little bit of holding midfield if needed. Should add good depth. If I was them, I'd still be looking for a starting midfielder, or sorry, starting centre back to go next to Konza. Then you've got maybe Tunzebi and Mings as your backups. Um... But you know they they do seem to like Mings. It'll be no surprise if Mings gets the captaincy, because you know foolish clubs do foolish things. Villa aren't a foolish club, but you know that would be a foolish thing to do. Um, Adam Armstrong is um allegedly set to have a medical with Southampton on Tuesday, so tomorrow Saints have had an offer accepted, is the report uh, by Blackburn, twenty million pounds plus add-ons. Norwich, Crystal Palace, and a couple of other clubs had been in for him, and it looked like Palace had stolen the March. Norwich were the initial favourites to get him. It looked like Palace had stolen the march. Norwich have now moved on. It looks like Josh Sargent might go there, but uh Palace seemed to have, have the, the the straight line for him. Um but now with the Danny Ing's money in their pocket, it seems like Southampton have jumped to the head of the queue. Um He's had a couple of very good seasons. Last season, got 28 goals in 40 championship games. Second only to Ivan, T- Ivan Tony in the division. Uh, two former Newcastle strikers, by the way. Well done, Newcastle. He's missing goals these days, yeah. Um, I think Armstrong will do quite well in the Premier League. He's a bustly type of player. He's quick, good movement. Be, he'll be a step down from Ings, I think, in the immediate short term. But, you know, at his age, 24, he's got years ahead of him to develop. Um, If Saints get him, it'll be interesting to see then what what Palace pivot to. Like I said, Norwich have gone for Sargent. Um, I don't think Sargent is the same profile of player. Sargent's not a big-time goal scorer. He's more a secondary striker who'll do a lot of the hard work for you. So maybe Norwich will still have an interest in bringing in someone else, but the budget's always an issue with Delia Smith. But I'll be interested to see what Palace will do now if it uh, is that if it is the case that Southampton get him locked up. Bit of Premier League news: the Premier League handbook for the new season states that nine substitutes will be allowed in matchday squads, so an increase from seven to nine. That's going to be made permanent. Um, curious to see how certain clubs. Handle this i I am in favor of this, however, I do think it should be mandated that at least three of those spots should be academy grown players players that spend at least two years in your academy. I always thought it should be one or maybe two now, I think it should at least be three, maybe even four. So that you have to promote young players. And that would be a problem for a club like Brentford, who don't have an academy. But, you know, that's on them to figure that out. Maybe they can get in by using their B team or whatever. Um, but I, I do think, or even if it's just players under the age of 21, even if they're not academy homegrown, players under the age of 21, let's promote getting more young players experience, getting more young players into match day squads and getting them on the pitch and developing them. Um, clubs have gotten a little bit lazy When it comes to development um, And once again just to give it a quick plug Ryan Baldi's book uh, Dream Factory is out soon So do check out Amazon Just search Ryan Baldi on Amazon And it will come up Also check out his first book Football's Next Big Thing Which is about a group of players That were you know, at, at times individually tagged To be the next big thing Whose careers didn't pan out And you know, Ryan investigates what happened, what went wrong, and what they're doing now. A uh, very, very good read. I'm expecting the next book to be just as good. Uh, we'll finish up then with the gossip. We've got a couple of days' work to catch up on. So, um, Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich has requested an urgent meeting with Lionel Messi's representatives after it was announced he would not be staying at Barcelona. Uh, don't think that was ever true. Paris Saint-Germain boss... Richard Pochettino confirmed contact has been made with a potential move over Messi. We know this. This is fine. Um, PSG, reports from PSG are that you know signing Messi could convince Mbappe to stay. Um, maybe? I, I, I don't know. He seems pretty set on wanting to leave. Messi is said to see himself at Manchester City and having a reunion with Pep Guardiola that's from the daily mail so you know we'll put that where it belongs neymar has offered messi his number 10 shirt at psg the first selfless act of neymar's career perhaps um barcelona have agreed terms with portuguese midfielder renato sanchez but have yet to agree a fee this is trash they can't sign anybody so just ignore it West Ham United remain in talks with Fiorentina over a £14 million deal for Nikola Milinkovic, but could face competition from Juventus. So Juventus, obviously very stupid club over the last few years, have done very stupid things, and have done another stupid thing this year in allowing Mary Demerell to go to Atalanta on loan with an option to buy. Same deal they did with uh, Christian Romero. And am worth pointing out that Atalanta bought Romero from Juventus for 18 million after Juventus had paid 23 million for him and never played him. They bought him, let him stay at Genoa on loan for a year, brought him in, loaned him straight to Atalanta on a loan with an option to buy for 5 million less than they'd paid. This was all done by the mastermind Fabio Paratici now running Spurs. Um Atalanta took up that option. This summer it was a two year loan. They could buy him either summer. They took up the option this summer for 18 million and then sold him to Spurs for 46 million. And the man paying that 46 million, Fabio Paratici. So well done to him. But Juve haven't learned from that. They've sent Demorel there. Now it's a higher loan fee, I think, or the higher buy fee. I think it's 26 million. But if he has a good season there, Atalanta will buy him and sell it on at a big profit because Juventus are just. Digging holes that they won't be able to climb out of. Um, but they do need a centre-back, and Milinkovic would fit fit the bill there. West Ham also trying to sign Duje coleta Now, I don't know if they're trying to sign both of them. It would make sense to sign both, because they play Milinkovic right side and coleta left side, and stylistically, they would fit well together. So it would make sense to try and grab both if they can. If West Ham can get both of them, that's going to be really good. Um, they've already upgraded the goalkeeper with Ariola. we know they've got the really good centre midfield pairing of uh, Suchek and Rice, I still think they need a left back, and they need some cover up front, they've obviously lost Lindgaard, but I think they'll be fine, they've got good attacking midfield options, I, I think we've seen more of Ben Rama this year, they'll obviously still have Bowen, they'll have Fornals. I think that three behind Antonio is good, but they need to find a backup for Mikel Antonio Um Real Madrid have blocked 22-year-old Norway midfielder Martin Odegaard's potential move to Arsenal after Tony Cruz went down injured. There is no potential move at the moment. Southampton have rejected a £25 million bid from Aston Villa for James Ward-Prowse. This happened weeks ago, and we don't actually know if it was for Ward-Prowse, so that was an early offer for uh, Danny Ings. Chelsea defender Matthias DeLict. Ligt. Sorry, Chelsea wants Juventus defender Matthias De Ligt and could offer 50 million plus Timo Werner. Juve, however, are more interested in Jorginho in any swap deal that includes cash. Um I mean, if you're Juve, I don't see that you'd want Timo Werner. He doesn't really fit into how you play. He plays predominantly you know, from that left side of a front three or you know, in a in a front two he wants to occupy the left hand side. They've already got Cristiano, they've got Chiesa. I don't really see them wanting uh, Timo Werner. Jorginho would make sense for them, but again, don't really see that happening. Don't think there's any truth in that one, to be fair. Um, Everton boss Rafa Benitez is monitoring Solomon R- Rondon's situation with Dalian Pro with a 31-year-old Venezuelan striker set to be uh, potentially released from his contract. So uh, are Everton just not going to give Rafa any money to spend, they let all the other managers they've had in the last couple of years spend all the money and now there's none for Rafa. Is that the situation here? Um, West Ham have made a 15 million pound bid for Ren's 25 year old Morocco defender, Naif Aguerd, which the French club are expected to reject. Interesting. I'm going to say that's not true. It's from, Football Insider, who, as we know, is a spoofer. But I'm going to... Why would you make a bid if you expect it to be rejected? I just don't see that being true. Um, Tottenham are prepared to sell Harry Kane if Manchester City offer 120 million plus 20 million in add-ons. No, they're not. City are relying on Kane convincing Daniel Levy to allow him to leave. Yeah, they they might want to get a new plan then. Lionel Messi and Paris Saint-Germain have agreed. Yeah, we know that. Okay, Messi. If Messi does go to the French capital, he's set to receive a yearly wage packet of forty million euro, about thirty-four million pounds after tax. That is, that is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's six hundred and eighty thousand pounds a week after tax. Just imagine, just imagine. Um, Messi's potential move to the Parc de France could boost Manchester United hopes of signing Eduardo Camavinga who's strongly been linked to the move to PSG he wants PSG in Real Madrid he doesn't want to move to England but you know his agent might push him that way uh, Sergio Aguero will remain at Barcelona despite reports he was looking to leave we'll see he they, they doesn't really have any way out of his contract so maybe he would have to be a loan Uh, Arsenal are exploring the possibility of signing Bernardo Silva, who they see as a potential alternative to James Madison. I would rather have Bernardo, being honest, but um, I don't see him wanting to go to Arsenal. Now, he's probably got a good relationship with Arteta, but I just don't see it. Uh, City are willing to offer Silva in any deal for Kane, but are prepared to miss out on the England captain rather than meet Tottenham's asking price of 150 million. Um, If if Spurs got 100 million in Silva, that wouldn't be bad if they wanted to play. If they did want to play 4-4-2, Silva off the right wing, Son off the left. Go and get Lautaro. Get Vlahovic. Might cost you 15, 20 million in your own money. But then you've got Vlahovic and Martinez up front. Those two wide. Heusberg and Endonbelli as your centre as your centre midfielders. Um you don't have a great right back, but Tomyasu looks like that one could happen. So that's right back. Reguil on and left back. Romero was one of your centre backs. The other centre back position is problematic, but maybe you can patch it up for a year with the likes of Davinson, Roden, Tanganga if he doesn't go on loan. It's it's not ideal. But, you know, maybe you can patch it through for a year. Romero's going to be really good and should help do the other one. Um, And then you've got Lloris and Galini as the goalkeeping options. Not brilliant, but better than a lot of clubs have. Wouldn't be a bad team. Really wouldn't be a bad team. Um, Inter Milan are planning for the departure of Romelu Lukaku. And want two additions up front with Tammy Abraham, Duvan Zabata, and Eden Jacko all targets. It does look like they'll go for Zabata and Dzeko, and Abraham could go to Atalanta. Now, for me, looking at that from a, an outside point of view, Zabata's 30, Dzeko is 35. I'd imagine both would want big money. I kind of feel like Inter are... Really, really setting themselves up for some pain there. Like what kind of contract are you gonna give Jacko? Two years? Three years? Be thirty-seven, thirty eight, you'd be paying him big money? That's ugly. Wouldn't be doing that now, personally. Um Arsenal and West Ham are also interested in Abraham. Yeah, who cares? Um this is from the spoofer, so we won't we won't read it much more. Inter Milan have targeted Anthony Martial to replace Lukaku. And uh, they want to take him on loan with an option to buy. And Everton have also been linked with a loan. If I can't see United loaning him out, Aston Villa are. Aston Villa explored the possibility of selling Jack Grealish to Real Madrid or Manchester United before a one hundred million pound deal was reached at Man City. I can't imagine either of them were willing to even consider the, the idea of paying a hundred million for him. Tottenham have been linked with Phil Coutinho, but a move for the 29-year-old would hinge on selling Kane. I don't think it would, because I think Barca would give Coutinho away. It's just that he'd have to take on his wages. Barca have offered Coutinho to Everton, but the Merseyside club have, are likely to turn down the chance to sign him. Um, I don't think they'd have a choice. He would turn them down. Atletico Madrid are close to signing Rafa Mir from Wolves on a four-year contract. Brighton hope to sign Eddie and Ketia for about 20 million. They're also in for Odson Edward, who's a better player and would be cheaper. Um, Newcastle have inquired about the availability of Nathaniel Phillips. Make an offer, son. Make an offer. Take him away. You're fine. Leeds United are tabling an approved uh, an approved offer for Huddersfield midfielder Lewis O'Brien after their initial approach was rebuffed. Paris Saint-Germain are set to offer Kylian Mbappe a pay rise to convince him to stay. I don't think money's the issue. I think he knows he'll get all the money if you know if he stays there. But I think he wants other things. Spanish club Granada are close to signing Sergio Romero, who's a free agent after leaving Manchester United. He'll be a good signing for somebody. He's still a good goalkeeper. Um, he's unfortunately wasted the prime of his career sitting on the bench at United. But um, yeah, he probably made plenty of money doing it. Liverpool have agreed to sign 16-year-old Bobby Clark from Newcastle after Tottenham turned down the chance to sign him this year. Uh, not not true at all. Tottenham didn't turn down the chance to sign him. He turned down the move to Tottenham. I have that as first-hand information. He turned down Tottenham in favour of moving to Liverpool because he wanted to stay in the north of the country, didn't want to go to London. Uh, Everton are expected to send Portuguese keeper Joe Virginia out on loan after he was left out of the squad for Saturday's pre-season friendly against Manchester United. There is interest in him from unnamed clubs in the championship and abroad. He's he's a solid keeper. If you're looking for a good young keeper, he'd be one to take on. Swansea might need a new keeper after losing Freddie Woodman. Um, If you haven't seen it, go and look at Jordan Pickford's gaff from that game. Absolutely sensational stuff. Makes an absolute hames of things. Um, Messi is to be unveiled as a PSG player at the Eiffel Tower in the coming days. Barcelona are attempting to block any attempt by PSG to sign Messi by filing a complaint with the European Commission saying the French club would breach spending rules if they successfully recruit the Argentine. If Barcelona attempts to file a complaint that somebody else would breach spending rules, they need to be laughed out of the room. Uh, Tottenham are among the clubs that have tried to sign Messi. No. Tottenham boss Nuno Espirito santo will hold talks with Harry Kane on Monday to try and convince him to stay at Spurs. I I think he's going to be successful, but largely because City won't put the money forward, uh, not after signing Grealish. It would be too blatant for City, I think, to do it at this point. Roma boss Ed and Jack, uh, Roma boss Jose Mourinho is keen to sign Maro Icardi, with Ed and Jacko looking set to leave for Inter Milan. Now, Icardi is an interesting victim of the Messi signing because him and Messi don't get on because Messi is friends with Maxi Lopez and Maxi Lopez is the sworn mortal enemy of Mauro Icardi. And if you don't know why, just please take a moment and Google Mauro Icardi, Maxi Lopez and feel get prepared to have your mind blown by what happened between these two people. Um, Trying to avoid reading stuff that's from the sun. So, moving on. Arsenal are in competition for, with Tottenham for Duzan Vlahovic. I, I I, really doubt it. I really doubt, doubt that they are. Um, Hassan Salahamzic has confirmed that, that Bayern Munich are interested in signing Erling Haaland next year. Way to unstabilise your greatest rival for the title this season. Um, clever move. Manchester United are preparing to make a bid for... Antoine Griezmann. I'm just going to go ahead and say no, they're not. Uh, Porto, West Ham, Leeds and Norwich have been linked with Fabio Carvalho, who has turned down an initial offer of a contract extension at Fulham. Now, he's very, very gifted. Very, very talented. Made some appearances last season in the Premier League. Looked very, very comfortable. If Fulham lose him, that's going to be a hammer blow because they were pinning their hopes for a while on Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho. They already lost Elliott to Liverpool. If they lose Carvalho as well, that would just be massive. What is it with Fulham and not being able to keep hold of these great young players that they developed? Ryan Sessegnon, uh, Patrick Roberts. I know his career hasn't panned out, but he was so talented. Been a few others over the last few years as well. Um, I think someone's going to grab Carvalho and get themselves a bargain. He's he's really really good. Uh, Leicester City could recommence the pursuit of Yannick Vestergaard uh, as cover for Welsophan. I don't imagine they will. I don't think they'll sign a twenty nine year old to be short term cover, especially given Vestergaard will probably cost quite a bit. But um, I do think they might sign a centre back, but I don't think it'll be Vestergaard. Wouldn't be surprised if Festegard did leave saying so. I think they'd look, they'd like to sell him and cash in on the fact that he had a decent season last year. Um, West Ham are in preliminary talks to sign Divock Origi. Pray to whoever you pray to that that deal goes through. Do it for me. Pray to whoever you pray to. The West Ham signed Divock Origi. Leeds United remain interested in to Berlin midfielder Matthias Cunha, He's not a midfielder for starters. Who won Olympic gold with Brazil in Tokyo and Saturday. Yeah, congratulations. To Brazil, um, winning the Olympics over Spain at the um, at the Olympics, Malcolm with a bit of magic, two uh, one victory to Brazil. It was a, an enjoyable game of football, and I I did feel like Brazil deserved to win, um, deserved to win the competition. They were the best team throughout, and what I really liked was seeing Dani Alves after the amazing career that he's had, finally get, you know, that last little bit, that Olympic gold medal to cap. One one of the great careers. There's absolutely no doubt Danny Alves has had one of the great careers. As for Cunha, he would be a very good signing for Leeds or for most of the Premier League. Um, Atalanta have also been linked with Cunha. His valuation is has been increased to about $25 million by Hertha after success. That's still a bargain. That's great value. Southampton want to sign Chelsea and Albania forward Armando Broya on a season-long loan. Don't know much about him. Meant to be talented, though. Burnley have been linked with Santos, 23-year-old. Burnley are not signing some fella from Brazil. Let's be really honest about this now. Barcelona have offered 32-year-old Brazil goalkeeper Neto to Arsenal and Tottenham. Tottenham don't need him. Arsenal are looking for a goalkeeper, so maybe. Um, Brighton want to sign 23-year-old Hatafi left-back Marco Corella, who played in the Olympic football final and won a silver medal. He's really good. He'd be ideal for them. You put him on one wing and Lamptey on the other, that's going to be a lot of fun. Now, I think they're better as wing-backs. I think they're natural wing-backs. I don't think they're full-backs, either of them. So it would mean you're playing your back three, and Brighton need to sign a centre-back then to replace Ben White, who's obviously gone to Arsenal. And that is it then. That is our gossip for today. Slightly longer show today than initially planned, but I went long on the Keen thing. You will allow me to go long on the Roy Keane um, fawning, adulation, love fest, whatever you want to call it. That's what it is. Uh, happy birthday for tomorrow to Roy Keane. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to you for listening as always, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.